yeah, you won the game, that's great, good for you, or you got an A. That's support, it's a little encouragement, right? It's a little honoring. So that kind, yeah, sure. But it can't be that dynamic all the time. Well, uh, it's the difference between uh, empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is where you're like, you're in the other person. You are the other person. Empathy is, you can you know, support and feel, imagine what it's like to be them, but you're not them, and you know it. And you're coming from a point of strength to support them. You know, this is one of those things, we, we always are using this uh, model, the triune brain model, from the um, evolutionary psychologists. And when you're in the higher brain, when you're in your uh, cerebral cortex, one of the things that happens is, um, you know, logic, it's all logic based there. When a woman cries to you and you sympathize and you talk about it, you're in your higher brain with her and your mammalian brain, the emotional brain. I'm going to show you a video very shortly here that's going to help explain that. But when you say, okay, listen, you know, we've talked about this about an hour now and I'm going to kind of take charge here. Now it's time for us to start solving this problem. You know, I totally get how bad you feel and I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to solve this problem for you now or with you. I hope with you. And she might be like, you don't care about my feelings. And you're like, but I'm going to solve the problem, honey. And that's another one of those little cultural things that can tweak you as a man these days because it is your role to solve problems and not get over emotional about them. You know, think caveman days or ancient hunter-gatherer tribes, if you had these guys in loincloths running around in the woods, killing animals and each other, warring tribes, and a guy broke into tears and said, I just, that deer was so beautiful. I, I, I can't throw the spear anymore. <laughs> you know, they would die. I mean, today, I've never hunted. Okay, I've never, you know, used a gun to go hunt. I don't know if that's for me, but we aren't going to die if I don't learn to hunt today. But back then, the village would die if you had a guy like that. So that's how we evolved. And it's normal and natural. So what our culture is telling us today, that it's not normal to have that instinct, that how dare you solve the woman's problem for her. You're a bad man. You should be more empathic and cry with her. <laughs> okay? Our culture is trying to disagree with biology, and that won't work. That's why, that's why marriage is so on the rocks. Culture disagrees with the facts of biology, which is our minds work the way they work. Yeah, on, a, uh, on an unconscious level, I'm not saying don't cry at funerals, but I'm saying if you're like a weepy guy, or you've had a legitimate six-month period of actual standard depression, regular depression, and you get weepy a lot because you have clinical depression, that is unwittingly, unconsciously going to turn her off to you. Whether she likes to admit it or not, it is. She might not even be aware of it. She might be saying with her cerebral cortex, logically, oh, listen, honey, I understand that you're depressed. We're going to get through this together. She might even try to convince herself that she's still attracted to you during that six-month period. But her reptilian brain is not. It's not. 
Luckily, in a committed relationship, we have three different phases of connecting with the woman that all come into place. Like, it's like putting three locks on your door. You know, if one of the locks breaks, you got two other locks, luckily. So we have friendship and we have commitment with a woman. But the sexual attraction part can wax and wane. And that's another uh, major point. Thank you for bringing that up right now because having this depresculinity condition is decidedly unattractive sexually to women. If she sees you at that low point of reptilian brain, that low masculinity, you cry in front of her or something, is that more irreparable than the other levels of the brain? Like, is there just no turning back at that point? She will always see you that way instinctually. Whereas if, if, she, if you make a mistake of, you know, knowledge or something in the higher brain or emotional, you work through an emotional issue, is it just harder to work through that at that stage if you've kind of thrown all your cards on the table and, you know, got to that low level of masculinity with her? Yeah, that, that gets a little bit into uh, one of our other programs. It used to be called the Omega Male Program. Now it's called Masculine Intelligence with Women, MI Women. Um, give me three levels of investment. What would be like a bad investment? Junk bonds? Does that sound like a bad investment? What's kind of a medium grade investment? Like blue chip stocks? Bonds, stocks. What's like the most solid investment you can think of? Is it gold or a house? No, gold. Sexual attraction is like a junk bond. Okay. It's uh, very enticing, right? You might make a lot of money on it, right? If you do it right, but it's very fickle and unreliable. So it's okay if there's, what I'm saying is, it's okay if there's a fluctuation in the level of sexual attraction with your girlfriend or wife. These other areas of courtship are way more durable for holding you together, especially once you throw in shared lives. You know, once you've spent years together, you have this intertwined life story that's also holding you together. So it's okay if the sex waxes and wanes, but yeah, there can be a point of no return if you do something just so decidedly unattractive that it will always be in the woman's memory, um, like cheating or, I don't know, just totally breaking down when she really needed you to be a man. Even if you are depressed, she needed you to, you know, stop the mugger from, you know, mugging you, you both or from, you know, the man from taking your house, you know, or losing your job and not getting something else. You know, it can be irreparable. Let's take a look at the biopsychosocial model used by uh, mental health professionals. It's a way of uh, helping us really understand uh, what we're working on here. If you start over in the, um, in the biology uh, bucket there, all problems that have to do with your mind and your mental health can be broken into these three buckets. There are biological causes, there are psychological causes, and then there are kind of environmental causes, like where you live, you know, what friends you have, and I just call that stress, stress and social. And for biology, when we have problems with biology in this specific area of depression, uh, psychiatrists look for what are called vegetative symptoms of depression, and that means you know, the person has no energy and their sleep is all disordered. They can't fall asleep. They wake up early in the morning. Um, they, they just feel physically listless as well. There are all these physical symptoms that can actually 
come with a standard clinical depression. And that's part of how they begin to suspect a medication might be useful. You know, if you get to a physical level of depression where you can't get out of bed, can't go to work, you know, it's pretty serious. You've got to try a medicine in that case. We're not dealing with that in this course. That's biology. Um, if we move on to psychology, somebody uh, has a, a, a situation where their style of thinking is negative. It's pessimistic. Maybe they have negative beliefs, uh, trauma, bad life's experiences that affect how you think and therefore what you do and what you think your, your potential is as a person, then it's a problem of the psychology, not the biology. And medicines don't do anything for that. Only therapy or education can, if you think about it. To try to use a medication to fix a problem that's pure pessimism, life history, have a lot of traumas, would be like trying to build a house with only a sledgehammer. You know, it's not going to work too well. You have a, a big aha? In recent years, they've tried to prescribe a lot of medicine, and now I'm just realizing why it never worked. Why didn't the doctors and the people who prescribe that medication know what you just pointed out? Well, they, uh, they have been trained to know that, okay? There are a lot of variables in play. You know, we're not diagnosing people clinically here, but there are a lot of variables in play when somebody diagnoses a, a, a mood condition, and um, you have to put them into context according to causes. But these are the three general causes of any trouble a person may have with their mind or with their behavior or with what's happening in their life. There are biological causes, psychological causes, and stress or social 